Hey guys, so today we're going to be tackling uh, a few topics that have been on a lot of people's minds lately. We're talking about immigration, we're talking about some of the deportation stories you've been hearing. We're also talking about DACA. Uh, I'm here in the studio and I'm joined by two members of the Viasis family, Liani and Danny. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Thanks for, for having us. us. So uh, you guys, we should mention are your sisters. You're 22 years old. You're twins. Liani is older. We should point that off right off the bat. Thank Sorry. <laughs> right. I appreciate it. <laughs> okay. Um, but you're here to share your story because some people may have already heard about it. I know you've been sharing it with a lot of other places too. The New York Times wrote about you as well. Um, and I want to kind of understand more about your family and how you came to find yourself where you are right now. So big picture, your father was deported mm -hmm. less than two months ago. Your mother is scheduled to be deported in another three weeks. Mm -hmm. And you guys are both here under the protection of DACA staff. Status, correct. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's back it way up now. I want to know about your family. Tell me about your mom. Tell me about your dad. Wow, they're probably like the most amazing people. Uh, I mean, my father, uh, you know, he's a they're both physical therapists. Uh, that's how they originally met in Quito before moving to Colombia and starting their lives. And, you know, they had their practice. They did everything under physical therapy. When they came over here, my dad, you know, he was like, I still want to practice. I still want to do this. Uh, so he started taking, you know, a lot of classes and just learning as much as he could. And uh, around like a year and a half ago, he ended up getting uh, his uh, PTA uh, to be able, and yeah, so now he's like licensed to be a physical therapist assistant. Mm -hmm. uh, so they're just two really amazing people, well-educated, um, always striving, always trying to do like more, more than what the line is asking for. Um, my mom is wonderful. I mean, we're really close family, um, you know, and I think like even New York Times article said, said it. Um, that part of it might even be because of the circumstances that we've been living in. Um, you know, we've it's always been the four of us and our grandmother. Um, so we've always been extremely close, you know, uh, spending the weekends together, going on vacation every year, no matter how the, you know, the family was doing financially, we would always go out and have vacation. Uh, I mean, this like last year, I ended up starting work, starting work and I had to go to Chicago during the time frame that we would normally go on vacay. Mm -hmm. And uh, and my parents were like, you know what, you're not missing out. We're going to go have vacation in Chicago. Like that's just the type of family that we are. Now, you mentioned uh, your parents came here, obviously, when they were adults, when you guys were 10 years old, five years, five years old. I apologize. Yes. And this was in 2001. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, your father is originally from Aquito, yeah, Ecuador. Ecuador, and your mother is originally from Colombia. Colombia, and you guys were born in Colombia. Colombia. Mm -hmm. So, why was it that you came to the states in the first place? What brought you here in two thousand one? Um, well, our family in Colombia is very politically involved, um, and our grandfather, a few years before we were born, was kidnapped um, by FARC. Um, he was kidnapped because he was very outspoken against them. And he was also kind of a wealthy man, and he used a lot of his money to help improve the, the town called Pasto in Colombia. Um, and then our uncle, uh, Mauricio, he began to run for mayor, and he ended up being the first publicly elected uh, mayor of this town. And he was not married, so my mom ended up taking the role of, like, the first lady of helping him out with everything. And um, she's also a very friendly person, and she gets along with people very well, so this was a good role for her. Um, and as a result of this, um, a lot of threats started coming her way. Um, and at this point, my sister and I were already born. Um, so then my family started getting pictures of us in the playground or at a club. Like, they were taking pictures of us, sending threatening messages, um, saying that they were planning on kidnapping and harming us as well. Um, so what our parents did was they went to Ecuador. 
after the um the district attorney and the police told my parents like we can't protect you anymore we can't protect you here we can't protect you in ecuador um so then as a result of that my parents decided that um they would come to the u.s where our grandmother lives my dad's mom has been living here for over 30 years so um our parents decided that this would maybe would be a good place for us to be we'd been here before on vacation we my parents always loved the u.s especially especially new york Mm -hmm. um like we were younger i remember we came to the twin towers we were there since we were very young um so then we came here on september 1st of 2001 2011 sorry 2001 sorry 9-11 um and so we were here and from the beginning we were here on b2 visas and right away our parents started with their lawyers trying to um get us political asylum so explain to everyone now, because there's uh, you guys are probably in the weeds, you've lived in the weeds of this your whole lives. What is the B-2 visa? How did you first come to the States? Yeah, B-2 visa is a visitor's visa. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had that until 2002. Um, so before that expired, we started getting lawyers to try to get political asylum here. Mm-hmm. Um, and what happened was that the judge said, you guys have enough evidence. This is all very good for political asylum. Like, you're very likely to get it. The problem was that our lawyer at that time did not present our case saying that we needed asylum because of our political affiliations, but instead presented it as they have their family has money. They're kind of wealthy. They need protection from that. Like a social class. Yes, exactly. A social class thing, except like and not the political um, aspect, which is why we really did have to come here. Um, So then as a result of that, the judge said, I can't give you political asylum because your counsel presented it in this way. Now you obviously been you've told been told this by your parents, right? Have you right. gone back? Have you looked through the paperwork? Yes, and sure. yes. yes. I mean, we've also had appeals uh, for the case mm-hmm. uh, for the uh, political asylum case. Uh, so that all you know, we've been able to like look at all these records. Uh, you know, we have records of like what the judge had said. Mm-hmm. All of that has been in record. Uh, you know, we submitted the appeal, but they you know automatically just look at what the judge said rather than looking at you know the overall picture of everything that was actually presented mm-hmm. um so you know that's been continuously denied so this is back in 2002 now mm-hmm. you apply for a political asylum that application is denied mm-hmm. so how have you been able to remain in the u.s since then mm-hmm. right so since 2012 uh my parents have been under a stay of removal um, and my sister and I have been really fortunate to be uh, DACA recipients. So with that, we've you know had the opportunity to work and go to school. And my parents, under a stay of removal, every year they renew it. Um, and with that, they have legal status to same same like Danny and I. They have the ability to go work. And every year we go, we check in with ICE, and um, they tell us whether you know my parents are going to be getting another year or not. And this time around, uh, November 15th, uh, that's when, you know, they automatically said no. And uh, that's when they detained my dad. So year by year since 2012, you've been renewing that status from the time that the original visa expired until 2012. What was your status? What was going on then? There were appeals being done. um, And then those appeals take some some time. And during those appeals, you get like an automatic stay of time. Um, so since then, and then our parents at one point, I remember we were our senior year of high school. And, you know, at that point, you don't really know everything about, you know, you think you're safe, but you know that you, you're not an American citizen. And, you know, you're starting to do applications for college and you realize that you can't qualify for certain things because you're not an American citizen. Yeah. And all of these things. And then slowly you start to realize like, oh, you know, maybe I'm not in such a stable ground here. Like maybe I'm at a risk for something. And then I remember in our senior year of high school, um, our parents went to an appointment with ICE with our lawyer, our old lawyer. Um, And then my mom called us. We were coming out of 
I remember basketball practice. We were in the locker room, and she was like, it didn't go well. So, you know, you know what it didn't go well means. So we came home, and our parents were like, we have to leave. You know, these lawyers told us that the next time that we go to check in with ICE, um, that we have to go with our suitcases. We have to leave. So we went through this. I'm not sure if it was maybe about two weeks where we were were buying new refrigerators, buying everything that we were going to need in our lives that we were going to be going back to Ecuador. And you were high school seniors. We were looking yeah. at colleges, you know, doing applications and, you know, again, like everybody. thinking about our actual status because, you know, I was like, Mom, why can't I, you know, file for FAFSA? I'm like, don't you want us to get like financial help? What had your parents told you up until that point? I mean, obviously we, you don't go yeah. looking for the information if you think everything's fine. I mean, fine, but you know, I had seen like articles that my, my mom had of what had happened in Colombia, you know, the kidnaps of my grandpa. Uh, there was also, you know, other incidents that had occurred that were, you know, all in newspapers. Uh, so I would look at that and, you know, I would, I, I knew. And my, my parents would tell us, they actually sat with us one day and they're like, you know, we came here trying to get, you know, asylum. They explained that to us. Um, you know, we've always been very interested in just, you know, immigration in general. Um, so we, we had a good understanding of it. Um, but when you get hit with, hey, like we have two weeks and then we have to leave. Yeah. That's where you kind of like go back in time and you look at everything and you're like, wow, like this is really where I'm standing yeah. right now. But and you was, got here when you were five. Mm-hmm. That's right. This was you, when you were high school seniors that this happened for the first time you consider yeah. that you mm-hmm. may not be able to stay. Had you ever in those years, in your entire childhood, had you ever thought, this is not my home. I, I may have to live somewhere else. Um, I think since we came here, we were so young. I mean, we have a lot of memories of Colombia and stuff, but a lot of our childhood was always here. Our friends were here. You know, we're best friends with our neighbor. We were best friends with all these people who are Americans. And um, we knew that we weren't from here. You know, we knew that we weren't American citizens. We knew that. But I remember thinking, like, are we permanent residents? Like, do oh. I put that on my application? I remember that was a I thing I would always have that confusion college. as well. We, my, but we've been here for so long. We're not permanent residents. Like, permanent, you know, means you stay. Like, yeah. that's not what we are. Like, we never, you know, you didn't realize these terms. Um, and so, you know, you sometimes, you, I, I remember I would get, like, online, and I would actually, like, Google all these things. And I was like, I really need to know. Like, I would tell, I would get frustrated with my mom, and I would be like, Ma, you got to sit with me, and you have to explain to me, like, can I fill out this application or not? Or what am I going to say? Like, if I'm not a citizen, if I'm not a permanent resident, then what am I? You know, I should be like, you just can't fill that application out. Um, yeah, I think well, parents, being like parents try to kind of It's frustrating. From, it's frustrating because, uh, yeah. you know, you want to know, but at the same time, like, you know how your parents are. Um, and, and we knew, like, ultimately, we knew that this whole time they were just trying to not have us think about all of this, this this whole, like, mentality and state that they've always had to live in, of this, like, uncertainty. They didn't want us to have that sort of life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's, that's, like, sort of childhood. They wanted us to just be calm, you know, you know we to go to school to do things Regular like regularly teenagers. but so. i think from that moment from that yeah. time where those two weeks where we had to start packing everything up Back buying in new 2012. Cart, yeah, yeah for the container that we we're gonna take um you know people was telling people in school you know we have to leave we're telling our basketball coach our teachers our parents almost signed us out of school like everyone's gonna throw us goodbye parties and nobody understood i mean we we yeah. were just like hey like our dad got a really good job in ecuador um, is that what you told people yeah that's what uh, because yeah. initially like i don't know sometimes I think like we kind of would say yeah. like look we can't stay in the u.s anymore and i think and our parents, it would just be so hard they told like um someone from school like uh yeah we actually got a different job and we have to right. leave 
Um, so you concocted this whole story. Yeah, yeah. You- it's so hard to sit somebody down and be like, you know, explain the whole thing to them and be like, this is really the reason why we're leaving, rather than just saying like, hey, your dad got like another job or something. Yeah. Um, so in 2012, then you don't have to leave. Mm-hmm. You're granted, as you mentioned, a stay of removal. That's explain right. to me what that means. So stay of removal, uh, it prevents an order of removal from being executed. Right. Uh, so then that means like, okay, we're not gonna we're not gonna deport you right now. We're giving you this stay, and it can defer from different time periods. So our parents will get one every year. Mm-hmm. Um, you go to uh, Federal Plaza downtown, and then they give you another year. Come back this time. That's the ICE office yes, there, right? Yes, the ICE yeah. office on ninth floor. Um, you, you go over there, and then they give... Did you all go together every time? Um, yeah, we usually go together. Most of the times, yes. Mm-hmm. Especially this year, we knew that, um, you know, we knew that we things, knew that things were a little off. We knew that things were more difficult. Um, so what is that process like? Obviously, it's a temporary oh status. It's a year-long thing. What happens? You walk into the office. Right. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, every every year that we've gone and that we've, like, accompanied our parents, it's been... We know that it's a really long wait. We know that everybody is just sitting there really nervous. You know, kids crying. You can't use your phone. Um, you know, the office is packed and uh it you're you're extremely nervous uh i mean this time more more than ever um you know like we're freaking out um but normally whenever we go we just wait a very long time and then you know somebody calls us up they sign a form and we're out the door um that's it no Um, questions asked you know my maybe like think last time my mom ended up having to go in signing a paper with our attorney um but that's been like as far as it's gone um, and then, you know, this time around, you know, things ended up being really different. I mean, to start off, my sister and I, we weren't able to go into the waiting room. Um, they mm-hmm. said, hey, it's just the attorney and the person that has the appointment. Uh, so Danny and I ended up going to the cafeteria. Um, and, you know, we were just waiting there. And my, I, was t- I was telling my mom, I'm like, just text me if anything, you know, if anything's weird, just text us. And unfortunately, she did text us. And she was like, hey, this time around, they, they ended up just calling um, Jillian, our attorney, and dad and they didn't let me go in they told me to just take a seat that they just wanted to talk to them which and never she, happened yeah, which before. has never they happened together and she so said hey like they're both in there right now and i don't know what's going on this uh-huh. is your mother texting you from right. upstairs yeah, yeah at that point you guys are in the at that point i was like danny i'm gonna go upstairs like uh, i'll find a way to get in there you know i went upstairs and i told the officer i'm like hey my mom needs her id walked in and i stayed with my mom and at that time jillian came out of the room uh, jillian only, is your lawyer yes, yes jillian's jillian our lawyer mm-hmm. only this time around she came just by herself without her dad and you know she like went down like kind of like on my mom's knees and she's like you know they ended up rejecting the stay of removal for both of you um only they're going to be detaining juan my dad um and i and was in the cafeteria don't yeah my sister really? was in the cafeteria and i was like danny i'm like you got to come up like things are really going south right now um and she ended up coming in and uh and yeah like my mom was just completely shocked like you know she she wasn't like you know saying anything really at that point and I was like, Joe, what's happening to my mom? Like, what's going on? Um, and she said, hey, you know, it looks like they originally had, you know, a letter saying that they were going to be deporting both your mom and your dad at the same time today. Um, the only thing that stopped it from even happening um, was, you know, somebody inside ended up fighting for my mom just because of her um, health issues. Um, and because of that, they ended up putting her in a program called ISAP, um, which is uh, sort of like an intense protection system. Uh, sometimes they put you like a GPS to be able to track where you are, mm-hmm. and they give you like a very short time frame. Mm-hmm. In our case, they gave my mom a month um, to be able sorry, to self-deport, basically. Right. Yeah, they get, they tell. That's right. Usually, they put that device on you, and you have to check in a few times. So for my mom, she has to be. Ch- she gets a phone call on Monday. Um, every Monday, she gets a phone call. She has to repeat certain numbers. 
So they do a voice match. Mm -hmm. And then on Tuesday, she has to remain home all day until mm -hmm. someone comes um, and checks up on her. Um, and, but they and usually they the have, GPS. yeah, usually they have the GPS ankle bracelet. But that day, um, the ICE officer came and he was like, oh, you know what? You seem like a nice lady. We're not going to put this on you. Like, yeah, we're not going to put this on you, but we're <laughs> deporting you and your husband anyway. So you're sitting with your mother in the <laughs> waiting room. This is on November 15th of this past year. Every year previously, as you've waited there, your mother and your father have walked out together mm -hmm. with the lawyer. This year, your father is detained and you learn that he's going to have to leave. Mm -hmm. Right. What is that like to hear that? It's frustration, like, honestly, just a lot of just kind of like anger. Um, at least for me, cold. it was just, you know, I, I, was, mm -hmm. I was like, this is not happening. You know, like I, my dad ended up walking in, you know, like dressed up professionally because he was going to go to work right after. Um, you know, like, and, and we were concerned, we were worried that things, you know, might not go the right way. But, you know, my dad and my mom were just like so confident. They're like, you know, we've been doing things right. We pay taxes. Like, we've always just done things the right way. We've got an attorney. We've submitted basically every application that we can think of that might give us some sort of relief. Um, so it was just really frustration at that moment. I was like, there's no way that they're doing it and they're doing it this way. Um, you know, I tried, I was like, Jill, can I like see my dad, give him a hug or something? And she was like, no, they said that, you know, they no longer offer that like- Courtesy. Courtesy. Because they don't want emotional um, scenes. So, so they don't let you hug yeah, you. it was just like Bye. frustration. Then at that point they ended up taking my mom to a separate building. Uh, so my sister and I ended up having to go wait at like a bakery outside. At a pret. Uh, and at that point, you know, we popped out our laptops and our iPads and we we're like, all right, we got to like figure things out. Like there's no way, like, there's no way that anything? things are like this. Like there has to be a solution to it. Like they made a mistake or there has to be something that can show that they made a mistake. You said anger was one of the things you felt. Yeah. Why? Why anger? Just because, like, you know, like they've, They've done everything right, you know, like they could have easily just not gotten a lawyer and not done any of this, but they kept on doing things the right way. Um, you know, they could have easily not gone to that appointment, um, which was obviously not the sort of life that we would ever want for, you know, any one of us. Um, but I was just like, I, I couldn't imagine that, you know, it was them, the one getting deported. Like, I, I don't it was just like, I just did not understand it. I could not like put the pieces together and say my parents are getting deported. Yeah, it I remember just did walking not make in that room and seeing my mom and Jill and Lonnie. And they were white. I was like, you know, I, I wanted to burst out crying. Um, and for like thirty seconds, I was like, is this? Do I want to stay here? Do I want to stay somewhere that you know, like that is deporting people who are yeah. good people who you know who just want to help, who love this country? Because, you know, our mom even after yeah. visiting my dad and. In jails, you know, seeing him look so sad and her being so sad, you know, to a point where she's almost unrecognizable. She's still like, guys, I love this country. Yeah. She's like, this country has done so much for us, protected both of you. You she's know, that like, was the you know, point of why like, we came this here. This is what has to like get us through all this pain. It's like all the good moments that we've had in this country, and like yeah. that's what she's continuously said, even to the point right now where you know she has like counted days. Like that's still her thought. You know, it's that we've been so fortunate to be in this country, um, and 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 part of it, like my mom, she still like doesn't want to accept the fact that this is happening. You know, like she keeps on telling us she's like. We have to, you know, maybe go to Blasio. We have to figure things out and tell them, like, that they have to help us. Like, we have to be able to bring Dad back. And we um, tried all of that with my dad. And, I mean, that's, like, the only sort of, like, comforting thing that we have. It's that we've tried everything for, like, at least for our dad. 
we tried everything. Like we yeah. got, you know, we ended up joining Make the Roads. Uh, we we ended up getting in contact with we Chuck Schumer, senator's office. We tried everything. A petition with like fifteen thousand signatures, but nothing stopped it. Um, so I keep thinking, I'm like, what else did we need? Like, what else? Like, what else did we have to have, or who did we have to be in order to be in this country? Yeah, um, and we have an I-130 pending too. That's so the other thing. You know, my grandma's right. an American citizen. She petitioned for my dad. This is your father had applied for citizenship sponsored by your grandmother, by yes, his mother, correct? Right, who in is 2009, an um, and that application is still pending. Yes, yes it's there's a huge pending. backlog. They're only on. Last we heard, they're only looking at yeah applications right now from 2005 or three. I think it's five so from the moment that your father's taken into custody on november 15th Mm -hmm. do you have a date for when he will be that's the thing i mean we ended up uh going to the ecuadorian consulate Mm -hmm. um and we were like this is what's happening to our family and they sort of like had a schedule and they knew what was really going on in regards to how many flights go to ecuador with detainees Um, and we knew, like, our, our main reason why we were so scared of going to that appointment on November 15th was because our dad's passport was going to be expiring soon. And that passport was held by ICE. Like, they have all of our passports. Of so there's passports. no way of us going and saying, we'll renew it and we'll bring it right back. So we knew that something, you know, that might go wrong, which ultimately did. Um, so that's kind of like the way that we ended up calculating the approximate date of when my dad would be taken. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is when you're detained, um, you know, you end up having your, you know, you can place calls and things like that. Uh, but four days, I believe, four days before you are transferred locations, uh, your call gets blocked. So your you money can't, card you, yeah, blocked. your money card gets blocked. So you can't place any calls. Were you able to go see him in detention? Yes. yes. Uh, my mom and I yeah. were able to see him three times. He was held in Bergen County Jail. What was that like? Um, I'd never been in jail before. I never thought I would be entering a jail, uh, much less to see my dad. Um, for my mom, I mean, my dad initially didn't want us to go. He was like, I don't want you guys to see me here. Um, but we were like, you know, Dad, we know that you should not be here. So we know that you haven't done something, you know, horrible or committed a crime. We just, we want to see you. So my mom and I went, Lonnie, unfortunately, had to work that day and couldn't get off. Um, so we went to see him and we just, you know, try to be positive for him. You know, you try to be strong for yourself and for my mom, my dad. You know, I don't want to cry in front of my dad through this window joke around yeah tell you know, him everything what do you, know, you talk he, about he would always tell us to before going to look at the news and see what's going on because i think for the, right after he ended up getting detained or you know we normally have cnn on or you yeah know, all day my dad be. loves the news uh we're always looking to politics and what's going on in the world uh so he told us he's like whenever you come visit me he's like just tell me what's going on around the world he's like i've been hearing about all these things uh and then you know we just we would chat you know he would always tell us tell me what you guys are doing you know what are the efforts that you guys are doing right now to get me out so we would tell him everything you know and we're like you got to stay strong like things have to work out for our family um yeah and even just like mundane things like i was like dad you know i've lost so much weight since you've been gone you know because you're you know you're kind of depressed um and i was like this is not the kind of weight loss program i wanted like you didn't have to do this to get me to lose weight come on dad like you know he just laughs about it yeah just trying to talk to him on the phone every day he calls i remember i was on thursday he called me in the morning just thursday after he um he was detained and I was in school and I was taking an exam. I had an exam that day and I felt my phone vibrating and I was like, oh man, that's dad. And then I looked and it was like Bergen County and I was like, crap, I missed my dad's call. But then he calls me again and you know, 
that's kind of we're very close family. So yeah. you know, we now we FaceTime him in the morning, Every FaceTime night. him at night, in the afternoon. Where is he now? He's back in Quito. He's in Quito. Yes. Okay. He's, uh, he's spending time right now with his sister. Uh, so he has a room there for now. Um, so he's spending time with them right now. How often do you guys get to talk? Oh, we talk to him every night. Every <laughs> night, really? In the every morning, night, we, we text. Him. I normally call him for lunch. Like, I'll, you know, shoot him a text and be like, hey, like, are you free? Like, are you doing anything? Or do you mind if I call you? And then I'll just call him. I'll tell him how my day's going, even if it's been very slow or I haven't done anything. I'll just, you know, think of something just to be able to, like, keep him entertained. And, uh, you know, because he wants to know, like, what we're doing. That's the sort of family that we've always been as soon as we get home. We talk about how, you know, work was or anything, you know, anything that we've heard of, what we heard on the news, um, you yeah. know. If Danny did something that was weird, we'll just laugh about it or something. But that's kind of like what we've always done. So we try. We've been trying to kind of like keep that going um, because that's that's the most like important aspect for us right now. It's family and that love that we've always been able to have. And your mother was slated to be deported mm-hmm. last week, earlier yeah, this week. Right? She was supposed to be leaving on Martin Luther King Day. Actually, um, that morning she was supposed to be leaving, and then. Last Thursday, one week ago, um, she spoke to someone from the ISAP office, and they were like, um, you know, come meet your officer at um, Federal Plaza at ICE because they haven't seen the stay of removal because our lawyer, Jill, submitted another stay of removal for our mom mm-hmm. last Monday. And so on Thursday, this officer from ISAP told my mom they haven't seen your stay of removal yet. You know, she's supposed to be leaving that Monday. Um, so she said, come with your lawyer. And the stay of removal so that this officer um, in Federal Plaza from ICE can see it. So we went and our lawyer walked into the room. She said the officer said she didn't want to see my mom. She's like, no, you know, it's easier to say no if you don't see the person. So she saw our lawyer um, and our lawyer told her, you know, this is the stay of removal. This is what I have. You know, we just want to give her some more time. You know, the stay of removal initially was for three to six months in extension. Um, And the officer and two other people there said no we'll see we'll see her at the airport on sunday at night because her flight was really early in the morning on monday they're like nope we'll see her on sunday night we'll see her sunday night until our lawyer said look you know she was in the hospital last weekend she has to be back at the hospital for a follow-up on february 4th please give her some more time you know she needs it because of her health this is initially why they let my mom stay for these extra two months um and then the officer said fine um, 30 more days but I need to see the ticket right now so uh, Jill came out of the room and said we need to find the ticket we need to get the ticket right now so we went to the lobby of Federal Plaza I was starting to do it on my phone um, orbits.com and then I called my sister who was at work and I was like Lonnie can you get us a plane ticket for mom February 10th literally on at that moment yeah, yeah. you had to purchase it, yeah a she ticket. was like you don't get it to me show then, it to her right there so we were like you know trying to do everything like this and we're like is it 30 weekend? days from the 15th or 30 days from right now from today the 10th and Jill was like let's you know this is the kind of person who you know if one thing is off she'll say no so please let's let's just get it for the 10th you know five days or you know or we don't get anything so let's just do it right now so we so you uh, sitting in your office you are now in your first few months your first job ever out of school right working at a major bank you have to sit there and book your mother's deportation ticket. Yeah, I was in the middle of a call, actually. Um, but I knew that my sister was, like, already there with Jill. So I was like, if any call comes in, I'm taking it no matter what. Um, so I ended up, I had to drop the, from the call I and mean, just grab a conference room, and just do it as soon as I could. And I sent it over to Jill and Danny. And, and, you know, and then I'm like, just call me as soon as, like, this, you know, you guys give this to the officer and everything is good. 
Then there's a little and then that's when they send Plaza, me a message, yeah. and that's where we pay to have it printed out really quickly. Um, and our lawyer faxed it from her phone to the officer as well. And then we ran back up at this point to the fifth floor to show this ticket to the um, to the officer again. Um, and Jill was telling us, she's like, there's a security guard there. He took it and he said, okay, you can leave. It's fine. And she was like, no, I need like confirmation from yeah. her that right. this is fine. So then she got the confirmation and then, you know, we walked out. So your mother gets to stay for another three weeks. That's right. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Your father has been gone now for over a month yes a little over a month you guys still live in the home that you grew up in in queens yes Yes. the same home since the 17th uh, since we were five years years ago sorry yeah (laughs) since we were five years old yeah what has life been like at home for the last couple months it feels empty like you know like normally when we get home my dad is always there um you know whether he's playing the saxophone or playing his drums or you know the tv is on and he's watching a game or cooking and now, you know, if if I make it home early and and I get there, like I know that no one's going to be there. The lights are going to be off. Um, my dad's saxophone is just going to be laying there. Um, it feels strange. It feels like you know, like things are just not right. Um, and even like weekends, you know, we're accustomed to him just kind of like waking up Sunday and surprising us with pancakes. And my mom's like, last time that I ended up waking up early just to be able to like, you know, do breakfast. My mom was like, just don't do big breakfasts anymore. Like dad's not here. And I'm like, all right, yeah, that's that's a valid point. Um, but it's just it feels it feels weird. It feels strange not having him there. Um, you know, not being able to crack yeah. jokes and uh, the most I hadn't seen my dad was three weeks when I went to summer camp. Yeah, for me, I mean, Before. it was supposed to be eight weeks when I was in training, but he ended up coming over because he was like, I'm not doing eight weeks. <laughs> oh, yeah. So he came over. He's like, so I can't. Dad is always like, very I miss you too much. Yeah, I mean, that was the first time that I ended up like you know leaving the family for that long. So I think the day that I ended up leaving, he ended up like crying the night. Yeah. Um, the first time I went to summer camp, I was 13 years old and was going away for three weeks. And they would tell me that he would come home and he would just lock himself in the he bed the first few nights because he was just so sad that yeah. I wasn't there. So and then when, you know, this was when I was 13 and then you left last year. And that was still so hard for my dad. You know, he would spend so much time on Amazon pantry trying to order my sister food everything that she would need over there you know to make sure her refrigerator was always stocked in chicago you know make sure that she was always fine um and sign me up you know, we would talk about this recently because um i would always see him in the living room doing that and then when my dad was attained there's like a website where you can order like an in- inmate like a package of food like snacks and, things and then i would see my sister looking up websites and everything doing it and you know like the tables turned it was my sister trying to find him food and have have him have everything that he needed obviously you know this was a very unpleasant place that he was in different circumstances but you know i was like this was him a few months ago and now it's you but trying to get him food in jail well you mentioned this too it strikes me now you guys you're you're 22 years old you're in the house that you grew up in your your parents are in an incredibly vulnerable position now but parents take care of all that stuff you don't even know about when you're growing up right like the the electric bill and like this breaks and you have to do it and what and and your grandmother who lives upstairs has not been well Mm -hmm. your father was the primary caregiver for her too what has that been like for you I mean you're just trying to kind of start your adult lives now too yeah I mean it's like we're just trying to gather all these responsibilities that he's always taken care of and just start to realize them you know like he would always help shower my my grandmother um and you know we have to find time to do that and luckily right now danny just graduated so there's she has a little bit more time but as soon as she starts working we have to start figuring that that out um because no one's really going to be home until probably like after 5 30 um so you know it's like things like that that we're in right now we're trying to 
learn about all these responsibilities and trying to look into what will be ha- might happen in like the next month. Yeah, when my mom might not be around. Um, and you know, he he was he was probably one of the out of mom and dad. He was kind of worried about like the uh, the interview on November fifteenth. He was like very concerned. Mm-hmm. You know, he ended up like getting a book together and putting passwords and things that we have to know of the house. You know, making. Why was he so concerned this one time? Because of the passport. Yeah, his passport expired on December seventeenth. Um, and like Lonnie said, we can't renew them because they have all of our passports. You know, they have our passports. Um, the passports. And so just, we like, knew that the that would environment be that's going on right now of immigrants and the stories that we're hearing. You know, it's not it's not just the typical stories that sometimes you hear you know of maybe somebody that's leaving because you know they haven't submitted any sort of applications or no now it's like families that have been you know they have permanent residence um and they've also been getting deported so let um, me be clear about so this you mentioned really earlier around. you guys have spent obviously the majority of your lives here right uh you pay taxes mm-hmm. every year that's right has anyone in your family ever committed a crime been convicted yeah. of a crime? No crime my dad had had three parking tickets since he got here that's it um when you went in this time, uh, or went in on November 15th, was there a specific reason given that the renewal was denied? Um, so the stay of removals from the past have also had to do with my parents saying, like, you know, we want to stay here because we have our kids are younger. You know, this was before we were um, we were under 21. Right. Um, so then this time, my parents initially had an appointment in October. So they went with our lawyer, Joe, and the officer there said, you know, your daughter's 22 years old now. So your stay of removal can't be like, you know, we need to stay for to take care of our kids. And my parents are like, yeah, we, you know, our stay of removal is not going to be the same as it has been the other years. Right. If there's a humanitarian factor that um, that can grant a person a stay of removal. Um, like if you have to take care of someone who is an American citizen who fully depends on you, like my and grandmother. Hardships of you. Yeah. So um, the stay of removal was presented f- with that this time. You right. know, all the boxes were checked about, you know, why you should qualify for a stay of removal. Um, but we still knew that, you know, we we're in a kind of a different environment um, politically and everything this year. Yeah. And then so. when my dad asked the officer, he's like, why are you guys denying the stay of removal? Like, what's going to happen to my mom? And uh, the officer just said, you know, taxpayers can take care of her. Um, like, just like that, taxpayers can take care of her. Um, Let me ask you this, because you know, you've obviously been talking about this a lot growing up. Um, you've been paying attention to what's happening over the last couple of years, too. Was there ever a previous time over the last couple of years, before President Trump was even elected, that you thought, maybe we're not going to be allowed to stay? Because for all intents and purposes, it's really been under temporary status that's mm-hmm. continually been renewed, right? Did that ever occur to you before um, that November 15th day? I think it occurred to me after we, um, like we mentioned in 2012, before our parents had say removals and before we had DACA, that, you know, that this was something that could happen, that, you know, that we might really have to leave. Yeah. But, um, you know, I knew that we had an I-130 pending. Um, that was your father's application. Yes, my, dad, my father's application. And um, we also, we'd always been told, too, you know, like, the priority for deportation are people who have criminal records, um, that, you know, people who have you know, paid their taxes, done everything well, you know, you're okay. Like, you're not our priority. So then that kind of would give us, like, a little peace of mind because, you know, you're like, okay, we're working towards citizenship. You know, we're trying. We have lawyers. We're always constantly trying. You know, if we have an appointment, we go. um, We sign what we have to sign. We do what we have to do. um, And I don't know if maybe it was naive to think that, you know, we're doing everything right. Things are going to work out. 
Um, well, let me ask you this. So back in, in 2015, one of the first times President Trump was asked about his, or then candidate Trump, rather, mm -hmm. was asked about his immigration policies, he had said, I'm just going to read you this quote. It's probably something you've heard a version of, and I want I wanted to know how you took it back then. This was September of 2015. He, he said he was talking about deporting undocumented residents. Mm -hmm. And he said, quote, we're rounding them up in a very humane way, in a very nice way. And they're going to be happy because they want to be legalized. And by the way, I know it doesn't sound nice, but not everything is nice. How would you take those comments? I mean, we do, I do remember hearing that. Um, the thing is, like, for us, at least for me, I, I just, I really didn't think that he was going to be elected, honestly. I just, yeah. but I remember that night where, you know, when, um, when he won Florida, realizing, like, this, like, he's going to win. Um, this person who has said so many negative things about immigrants, um, about the, he wants to end DACA, he wants to deport all these things, and that's when it really hit me. I remember, you know, walking into my room and saying, everything has just changed for us. Everything, everything is just different and right now and all of our all of our faces were exactly the same you know, my mean, dad didn't that, even uh, want to watch the rest the of it the following week we had the tv off like we knew we knew things were different we knew that things were different at that point and that is also um, why we went into this appointment with more fear and why our lawyer right. worked even harder on our stay of removal to make sure that you know it met everything that needed to be met um and this time around they had two i-130s well, at least in our family, would have two I-130s because I ended up getting married not too long ago to my wife. Um, so I'm also right now uh, going through the whole process of getting that I-130 and moving. So your application for citizenship is pending too. Yes, that's correct. Okay. Um, so all of this, all of like this information, also went in, in into play, saying you know this family is working to finding full relief. When you heard, you mentioned earlier, you're paying attention to what's being said, and candidate Trump said it, President Trump has said it, that they would focus on, on the criminals, right, on the bad guys, on the dangerous elements. Did that make you feel any more safe? Not really, because um, it started to become very clear to me that a lot of people have the idea that immigrants are not good people. Um, you know, he says we're going to protect the good people. Um, but there's this idea that people who are immigrants are here to are the ones that are committing all the crimes or the ones who are here to take your job or the ones who are trying to hurt you, take your place in society. Um, so I think it's, you know, it's not just, you know, this administration that maybe has this idea about immigrants or maybe doesn't really understand us because that's. Our, our big focus is trying to help have people understand who are immigrants, you know, who we really are, you know. Um, so then that's it became clear to us that there is this not maybe hate, but there's like a dislike or a misunderstanding about what immigrants are. Right. Um, I mean, we've had, you know, neighbors and, and people that have come by and they're like, we don't understand what's happening. Like, we just don't get it. Like, did your dad do something wrong? Like, what happened? What do you tell people when they ask you? That? That's that's the part where we tell them we're like he did nothing wrong like that's our whole po point right now of fighting and saying you know this this deportation of my dad it, it just there's nothing to justify it like nothing can possibly justify even it. my mom when she was at isap um last two weeks ago I yeah it was, um she told one of the people there like you know they asked her how are you doing like a casual person at the front how are you doing my mom's like horrible you know my husband was deported on the 8th and they're like why was her husband deported like so fast why didn't he even get you know why didn't he get put into isap the program that you're time in or say about it, his family um, and why did he get things, taken yeah. directly to a jail and then deported um she's like i don't know like they were even asking my mom 
why didn't he get to be put in at least this program? The so ISAP you've program? never gotten sort of a clear explanation as no. to why things unfolded the way that they did. I mean, yeah. I really not the way, we, I mean, not the way that they passport, did. Because his passport expired on December 17th. Um, so then if he had remained, like if they had given him, they couldn't give him the two months like they gave my mom because... Because his passport would have exactly. expired they and they would have allowed him to renew it. Exactly. They would have to get like an emergency passport. So it's also more work. But let me ask you this. You talked about 2012. You talked about those two weeks where you thought, okay, maybe we have to leave this place. You're buying appliances mm-hmm. to use if you go back to, uh, to Ecuador. At any point over the last over the many years since then, every year when you go in and renew this status, it's a temporary status. There are a lot of people out there who are going to say, you could have expected at any point in that process to have been told, we're not renewing it. Yeah. I mean, what I find really interesting is, you know, when you hear like the new administration right now, they're saying, hey, like, you know, we're deporting this segment of groups. And at the same time, we want to bring, you know, people that are contributing to this country. And I'm, I'm, keep thinking to myself, I'm like, there's so many people that are already here, that are already here, that have spent most of their lives here, working hard to be able to find relief, become permanent citizens, that are contributing to the community. I mean, my dad's a physical therapist, he's treating a bunch of people. These people are already here. Um, And that's what I always think about when, you know, people tell me like, hey, like, this could have happened any day. Um, Like, it should not have happened. It should not have happened to our family, the way that it did, at least. It should not have happened. There's also the question of, I mean, you mentioned that the circumstances changed, right? Mm -hmm. Your parents originally came here all those years ago, fleeing a very specific kind of threat. That threat's not there anymore, by and large, right? And then the temporary status that was renewed was on the basis of you guys being minors. Mm -hmm. You're not minors anymore. So a lot of people will say, well, then the process worked. They were provided safe haven for a portion of their lives. That portion of their lives is over. What do you I mean, I've been the thing is, the, sa- the part of the state of removal yeah. was also for my grandma's part, which is uh, somebody that could face hardships, and that's a U.S. citizen. If an indivi- if like my dad would leave, which is what's going on right now with with our grandmother, um, you know, she's left right now with, her, you know, her ma- her main ta- caretaker is gone right now. Yeah, but I w- I've been thinking about this a lot recently with um, what's happened with the two hundred thousand people from El Salvador. Mm-hmm. You know, they're saying, oh well. Um, your country's fine now, you know, everything with, you know, you guys are here because of this earthquake that happened, um, but you you guys can go back now, it's fine, you know, the roads are good and everything's fine, but it's like, these people have invested so much time in this country, Have invest, you know, they have families here, they have kids who are American citizens, they've bought homes, they've got businesses, you know, like, it's... It's not that easy to just be like, okay, you're good, go back. And also, El Salvador is a very dangerous country, you know? Like, so many people left because of the earthquake, but also had to leave because of, you know, so many gangs and so much dangers over there. But um, maybe the country's fine now. Maybe the threats that were initially there are no longer there. But you've invested in this country so much. You love this country, you know, like our parents do and like we do. Um, so why can't the country continue to invest in us and, you know, let us continue here? And, you know, it's like, it's a mutual, we help each other mutually. You know, we keep loving this country. We keep working here. We keep, you know, bringing our talent here. So why can't we just remain here and try to help the country out as well? You are both spending a lot of time worrying about your parents, obviously. Um, but your own status is not 
certain either. Mm -hmm. You're here, as I mentioned earlier, under DACA protection. And uh, that's a a program that the administration has made clear that they want to end. There's a deadline looming, right? Mm -hmm. March is just around the corner. I'm curious how you are processing the conversation around DACA right now. It's become something of a political football. Definitely. I mean, no. I feel like yes I mean yesterday for example I was working on my application and then I got the notification that the Department of Justice is filing an appeal to the Supreme Court um, to stop the, um, the the decision made by the judge in San Francisco that allows um, people under DACA to continue their renewals right um, so it's a lot of anxiety you're always on you know feels like you never land on salt like solid ground um you know one day there's one thing happening when another day they say something else is happening one day they say oh the dream act is very likely to pass there's a lot of bipartisan support and then the next day they're like hmm you know maybe the dream act is not gonna pass um maybe you know all these 800,000 kids are gonna are gonna continue losing status every day like um like it's already happening now you know there's a lot of people who weren't able to submit their applications before because of time because of money you know we have to pay $495 at that moment for your application and you have to pay a lawyer or anyone else to help you out to submit it and do it correctly because if you mess up one thing it gets rejected and then you know it gets rejected and then you lose your protection for two more years um so I feel like I'm always constantly like looking at the news, seeing what happens, um, trying to see whether my sister, luckily, I feel some comfort knowing that she was able to renew hers before and she's, you know, she has protection. Meanwhile, I'm like extremely worried about Danny because unfortunately she wasn't able to renew it. Um, and now I'm thinking, you know, like she's worked so hard, you know, so hard to be able to, you know, to, to graduate just like she did right now in December. And now she's in the spot where she doesn't know if she can, you know, take advantage of all this hard work and now actually apply it um, because of this one thing and it's whether she can be in this country or not. Um, So, and and there's so many people right now that, you know, are teachers um, that are contributing right now to the country. Um, You know, I I just started working right now and like, I love my job. I love what I'm doing. Um, And I don't know what's going to happen in the the long run if I'm going to be able to have that job later on, you know, And, and I've been lucky to at least be able to practice my career right now um, after all the hard work that my parents had to do to be able to get us to college, to get us through. And, and, and now we're like stuck in this process right now where we don't know what's going to happen, you know, and we're all in these like very unsteady boats, you know, um, my parents right now, we're waiting right now with like the BIA um, on their decision to be made. Then we have my sister and we don't know what's going to be going on with DACA. Same thing with me. Um, And then my I-130 and there's so much also going in talks right now with, um, and individuals are bringing uh, families to the United States. Mm-hmm. So everything is just like really up in the air. Um, and it's concerning because you just want to like live, live your life, you know, and contribute and have your family and be together. Like that's really what every, everybody does once you, go, once you go home, like you're just with your family. Your mother has a ticket? Yes. Yeah. Going back to, will she have Columbia. to go to Colombia? Yeah, yeah to Columbia. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then my parents are starting to just discuss what they're going to be doing in regards to whether they're going to be living in Colombia or Ecuador. Yeah, oh. and they're both not citizens of each other's countries. Right. So they have right. to also figure out... So it be the immigration process. Are we going to stay in Ecuador? There. Okay, my mom would get her Ecuadorian citizenship. Are we going to stay in Colombia? Okay, I'll get my Colombian citizenship. So they're both, um, you know, trying to figure out what they're going to do. My dad's trying to pick up my mom at the airport. He hasn't seen... You know, they've never been apart this long. They've, oh, they're, they're like inseparable. I mean, we tell them that they're like each other's lawyers. Like, they always defend each other and they're right yeah, next and they say we're so each other's is, lawyers as well because they always defend yeah. each other. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh... You know, I have to ask because obviously this 
is something you guys have been thinking about for a while. You've been dealing with it for a while. But the last two months have unfolded pretty quickly and pretty dramatically in terms of how much of a shift it caused Mm -hmm. in both of your lives. You talk about it very frankly and very sort of -of matter-of-factly. Has it become any easier over time? Uh, no, <laughs> I don't. I I don't know if maybe at the beginning um, we were so focused on trying to stop my dad's deportation, and we were meeting one person, another person, trying to figure out who to call, what to do. That um, you know, you kind of keep yourself busy, and then it helps. But then you know, you're it's two a.m. and you're like, this is real. Yeah. That's when it starts to hit you. You know, you're like, I'm in bed here. Dad's in bed in a jail. And mom, you know, my mom is sleeping with my sister right now so that she doesn't have to sleep alone. So the first, yeah, yeah, the first full month, I mean, the first full month was just like a month of really just fighting it and saying this is not happening. We have to find a way to stop it. Um, And now, you know, it's the same thing with my mom where like this, we have to figure something out for mom. Like there has to be somebody that can like look at this news and say, like, we know how this family is and they're trying to get relief. They've been here for 17 years. Like, this is not what this country represents. Um, but at the same time, I, I think, and I'm like, nothing ended up stopping my dad. Um, you know, and, and right now I'm like, Danny, like, at the same time, I want to be able to just take advantage of the fact that my mom is here and that we at least have her here. Um, so I keep telling her, I'm like, Ma, like, you know, like this weekend we ended up going, you know, to, to, to a restaurant because I told my mom, like, you know, we ended up having a really great time once I graduated and the four of us ended up going to a really great place to have dinner. We got to do the same thing for Danny. Um, I'm like, you know, you're her mom, like you're here. Even though dad's not here right now, I'm like, we have to give her at least that. So it's just trying to at least take advantage of the time that we have with her because um, as soon as you're in the position like my dad, once you're deported, he's technically not allowed to come back for 10 years. Um, So it's a 10 year ban. And then under DACA, you're not allowed to leave the country. Um, so what this kind of like all sums down to is we might not see your parents for the next 10 years. Um, so this, what is that like for you to consider? That it, it breaks me. I mean, I know the type of family that we've always been. Um, I mean, like our lawyer always bothers us because she's like, you guys are just so close. She's so like, you, you guys, guys are annoyingly, annoyingly loving. Close. Like and, you love um, each other. That's annoying. She's like, yeah. you guys want to have dinner together. What? Who does that? <laughs> um, but yeah, I remember so just the we idea were coming home that night. You know, and I all of that, like ending, ending. You know, all of us having to go like a different way. Uh, that's been really tough. Yeah, I told my mom, I'm like, we have to, because I've had people who are like, just try to enjoy your time with your mom. And I'm like, but we're trying to stop this from happening. I can't, you know, go out to dinner with my mom. We're trying to stop this. But I told her the other day, I was like, you know, what are the things that you've always wanted to do that you haven't been able to do here because you've been busy working and everything? I'm like, let's go check out the new Whitney Museum. You haven't seen that. You know, that night we went to a Nets game. You know, all these things like, like continue to try to stop this get the story out and everything but also realize that it might be a really long time until we see each other again um you know we're 22 years old my dad's just turned 58 my mom's 54 10 years is you know a lot of things can happen in 10 years no and like i talk to my friends and like they're you know they have like their parents right now that are already looking for you know uh, a house at the beach you know to retire and i'm like my parents have to start from zero right now in a complete in a country that they barely recognize without their families without a job like you know when you look at the, like the overall picture you're like why this should not happen to anyone like this nobody should be in this sort of like yeah they weren't looking for a new house last night my mom and i were looking on amazon to what are the things i'm gonna need in a new kitchen you know like we're not looking for new houses we they can't do that right now 
So your father has already been forced to leave. Right. Your mother is now scheduled to leave in a few weeks. Both of you could potentially have to leave mm. if some kind of resolution for DACA is not found. Right. What is it that you want to see happen? People have to stand up. Like this, this is not what's happening right now. These raids that are happening in in California that are ultimately like jeopardizing security at the same time, because people are. If you're undocumented, do you really want to report something if you know that you could be in jeopardy of getting deported? All of this that's happening is not what America represents. Um, and and I believe that through like you know reading about the history of this country, uh, to living here for 17 years. Um, to having the family that we've had, the friends, all this joy. It's just people have to stand up. You know, people have to opinionate in what's going on because we don't want to be the type of people where we look back later on in life and we're like, how did we let this happen? Yeah, and I think family and family reunification is so such a big part of American culture and society, you know. Um, and I'd also just, you know, I want people to like I, I'll sit down and have coffee with you and tell you my story like find out who we are find out who immigrants are you know it's so easy to look at a number you know numbers are devoid of faces and stories um but then I think you know you meet us you meet all of these other families and you realize that you know we're all just we're at the end of the day we really are just humans you know it sounds naive we're all humans but you know we all want to be here happy with our families and just strive for a better for a better life for us and for our families that's right. you know that's all what we all really want at the end of the day um so it's just trying to figure out and learn about all of these families learn about your neighbor who you know you see is not from here who maybe has an accent you know my parents have accents you know like learn who they are learn their stories um and I think that's really important. Yeah. And empathize. I think a big issue is there's a lack of empathy. And, and understanding. Uh, I mean, you know, we've been looking at, like I mentioned previously, we've been looking at comments that people have said, like, hey, why did you guys not get citizenship after 17 years? And I keep thinking to myself, like, I can't just walk to a deli and ask for citizenship. It does not work like that, you know? And I, I want people to be able to, you know, before comment or before, like, opinionating, just genuinely understanding what immigration is and the whole concept around it. I mean, I know our story is very complicated with political asylum, with DACA, with the I-130, and and it's complicated. It is. It's not just something that you can easily, you know, fix. We it's not something that you can just day. put money in and get. Um, it, it's, it's a complicated thing, and everybody... I mean, we've had families that have reached out from, from the U.S. that are, you know, in similar situations as ours. And it's just like, oh, my God. Like, you know, people that right now have, you know, a date where they have to go present themselves. And they have, you know, two U.S. citizen children, and they don't know what to do. Yeah. Do you guys have hope that you're going to see those changes you want to see? My mom's, my mom is really big on hope. She's like, hope is the last thing you lose. That's her line. She always says that. I'm cautiously hopeful. That's what I yeah. say. Cautiously hopeful. That's probably the best way um, to put it. Cautiously hopeful. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be the name of my memoir. Cautiously hopeful. Um, just, I think it, it has to get better. It has to get better somehow. You know, we all have to, you know, wake up and realize what's happening. That there's a big change. Um, you know, in this country, not just in this country, but globally. You know, there's been you know a huge refugee crisis in the world and everything. Um, and you know, we all have to realize what's happening and. Learn that, you know, we really are just people, we're humans, learn our stories, um, and I think that if we can learn to empathize more, that we can grow, we can grow together and grow as a country and, you know, build yeah. a better place, really. Liani and Danny Viasis. Thanks so much for being here today. I appreciate your time. Thank, Thank you. you for having us. Thank you for listening to Uncomfortable. 
If you like what we're doing, take a minute, leave us a rating and a quick review. It helps others to find these conversations, and we really just want to hear what you think. Plus, we've made it easy. Just click on the link in the description of this episode. If you have an idea for a show topic or a guest, leave it in the reviews or tweet at me, at Navazistan. That's N-A-W-A-Z-I-S-T-A-N, or use the hashtag Uncomfortable Talk. Uncomfortable is a production of ABC News. New episodes post every two weeks on Tuesday mornings. I'm Amna Navaz. Thanks for listening. <laughs>